Welcome to Goat Valley Campgrounds. Looking for a place to escape your busy life and reconnect with nature? Goat Valley Campgrounds features 300 acres of quiet forest and peaceful scenery for you to enjoy. Come meet Kate. She runs the place like your parents before her. We know you'll enjoy your stay as long as you behave yourself and follow the rules. Your survival depends on it. The No Sleep Podcast presents Goat Valley Campgrounds by Bonnie Quinn. Chapter 6 The rules of the inhuman world are usually simple. Many of them overlap with human rules, making them easier to understand. Don't take what isn't yours. Don't be rude. Even the ones that are antiquated can often be deduced if you realize you're dealing with an inhuman thing. Don't refuse a gift. Be generous with your hospitality. Obviously, there are exceptions. Some creatures require you to do the exact opposite of these rules. Which makes me wonder if it's an adaption to humanity's growing defenses against the inhuman. And even if they're simple, that doesn't mean they're easy to follow. This is why I try to document all the rules I know for my campground. There's no doubt when they're spelled out like this. There's no second guessing, no hesitation that perhaps this isn't what it seems, that inhuman creatures can't possibly exist, right? And this way, they know of the consequences if they fail. Rule number eight, if you find yourself surrounded by a group of people whose faces you can't see, give them whatever they request. They'll ask for an insignificant part of your body, such as a piece of your earlobe or a finger. Do not refuse or try to escape. They'll take far more from you if they must obtain it by force. It's a monstrous thing to ask of people that they willingly submit to being maimed. But this is how you survive them. And around here, survival is all that matters. My name is Kate, and this is Goat Valley Campgrounds. I learned about the people with no faces from my mother. She told me a lie when I asked her why I only have nine toes. And it was a beautiful lie. You gave your toe away when you were little. You came across a fairy in the woods who had no nose. She was crying. And when she told you why she was sad, you said she could have your nose if it would make her happy again. And the fairy refused because it was too great a gift. So you offered the fairy a finger, and that could become her nose instead, because you had ten fingers. And again, the fairy refused. Then you offered her a toe, and the fairy thought and thought about it, and finally said that she supposed a toe wouldn't be missed that much, and she took the smallest of your toes, and it became a cute button nose. But not as cute as your nose. <laughs> but be careful. The wicked fairies that stole the crying fairy's nose are still out there. That why I can't go into the woods by myself? That's right. Someday you'll be able to go alone, I promise. When you know how to protect yourself from the evil fairies. 
I'll teach you everything. This is how my parents introduced me to the dangers and wonders of an old land. They told me stories of heroes and monsters. And one day, I saw my uncle carrying the remains of something that looked almost human out of the forest. And I realized the stories were meant to be warnings. I think that was my first step out of childhood. It wasn't until I was in high school helping my father bury the remains of a camper who was divested of their liver that I thought to ask my mother for what really happened to my missing toe. I'm not sure why I waited so long. It just didn't occur to me to ask because it was such a trivial thing, something I'd grown up with and was as natural to me as my hair color. There's creatures in the forest that don't have faces. They travel in a group. We're not sure what they are. Demons, perhaps. But there's no way to know for certain unless you encounter one directly and use specific countermeasures. Of course, if you're wrong, all you've done is make them mad. That's not really an option, is it? No. Guess and check is a good way to die around here. You can avoid them if you just leave the area if you see them coming. The four-wheelers, they help with that. He spoke absently, in short phrases here and there as he stabbed the shovel into the earth. It was the middle of summer, and the earth was parched, packed hard and brittle. His face was flush with exertion, and sweat shone on his brow. Not sure why your mom went into the woods on foot, especially not so close to her due date. He stabbed the shovel into the ground and stared at it dully for a moment, old frustration etched into the corner of his eyes. I thought about the fights I'd overheard when they yelled at each other in hushed voices, their anger simmering low, as if that could keep from waking me or my brother up. I wondered if this was what they fought about. Maybe she really didn't know herself. Anyway, she was approached by the people with no faces. They wear raincoats, thin, dull, gray ones, with the hood raised, and no matter how you look at them, the memory of what their faces look like slip away as soon as you look somewhere else. They each carry a scalpel. I've seen them out in the forest before. They just smile at me and nod. They smile at you? Well, I mean, I can't see their smiles, but I know they're there. What happened next? They said they needed something from your mother. She said she'd grant it to them if it were in her power. If you're confronted with creatures so much more powerful than yourself, the best strategy? Simply go along with what they ask and hope for mercy. My parents taught me how to survive. They taught me how to fight, but mostly they taught me to survive. They asked for a toe, but not hers. Yours. And they called you by name. The one your mother had picked out but hadn't told anyone yet. Not even me. They took the smallest of your toes. Wait, while I was still in mom's womb? Yes. They made a very small incision. I rushed her to the hospital and the doctor went ahead and did a C-section. You were only four days early. We worked for a bit longer, until the hole was deep enough that the body wouldn't be disturbed by wild animals. Then we heaved it in and covered it up. Dad had some bushes to plant over the gravesite to help hide the disturbed soil. We weren't trying to hide it from the police. They already knew. We were trying to hide it from the other campers. You said you've seen them out in the forest? Yeah, they've never asked me for anything. Maybe you're safe from them. Maybe since they've already taken your toe, they won't take anything else. He sounded hopeful. I think he's right. 
I never worry about them approaching me in the woods. Not everyone in my family has been so lucky. In one of my office desk drawers is a knife. The handle is bone, the blade is bone. The binding is sinew. It was a gift, and I keep it because it was a gift, and I was obligated. I never wanted to use it. It was given to me because of how my great-aunt died. I'm not certain if it was meant as a mockery or as some obscene token of respect. For despite the circumstances, I must reluctantly admit that my great-aunt chose her time to die and took her fury with her all the way to the grave. It started with my second cousin, her grandson. He went into the woods by himself. I remember his father coming out of the woods, carrying him in his arms, his face set and grim. My second cousin was screaming, a blind terror that froze my limbs, and I stood there, shocked and senseless, until my father appeared. Kate, go inside the house and stay there. The bite of his words snapped me back to myself, and I turned and ran. But not before I saw how my second cousin's legs moved. They flopped limply from the knee down, swaying back and forth with every step my uncle took. Like noodles, I remember thinking. Like noodles. And the next time my mom made spaghetti, weeks later, I only took three bites before I thought of my second cousin's legs and threw up on my plate. That evening, after the hospital had gotten him sorted out, my mother sat my brother and I down and told us what happened. We were both in high school now, and they didn't tell us lies about our campground. Your cousin had a run-in with the people with no faces. The ones that wear raincoats. They asked him for the tip of one of his fingers, and instead of giving it to them, he tried to escape. You said we should never do that with them. Right. But he thought he could reach the four-wheeler if he just ran fast enough. So they'd taken the tibia and fibula from both his legs. Is he going to be okay? Yes, but the doctor had to amputate just below the knee. After that, my great-aunt became a fixture on her campground. I remember thinking it odd that she'd be here, constantly, sitting in the rocking chair on our porch with her knitting in her lap. The campground had belonged to her until it became clear that she wasn't going to marry. <laughs> I suppose I take after her. And ownership passed to her brother's line, my grandfather. My great-aunt didn't have much to do with the campground once she relinquished control, however. She felt it would be crass to hover and instead let it go and let the next generation make of it what they wished. I remember my father saying that she hadn't even said anything about the horses. Grandpa certainly had, and my father was bitter about that. He was bitter about everything to do with the horses, though. I liked having my great-aunt around. I did my homework out on the front porch, sitting on the floor with my back against the house, and sometimes she'd tell me things about the campground. It's changed. Sure, even back when I owned, the trees had that thick quality to them. You know, how they seem to close in around you and tuck you away from the world. I know. The campers say that's why they like visiting here. Right. But it didn't feel as dangerous as it does now. I guess that's just what happens when you pass land from generation to generation. Someday it'll be too dangerous to own, perhaps. I hope not. I really want to someday own this place and, and run it like my parents do. I'm sure you'll get your chance. 
But just remember that the forest doesn't belong to humans. Never did. That's why we cut it down and build our houses in its place. Is that why the creatures of the forest try to kill us? I don't think so. The world has always been a dangerous place. When humanity first peered out of our caves and into the dark and thought we saw monsters, we became prey. Mom says she'll teach me how to fight the monsters. Or did she also tell you that most people who fight monsters die? No. Well, they do. It's a last resort. Or you go into the fight knowing you likely won't walk out of it. There's so many things she told me, but this is the one I remember the clearest, for it was the last story she told before she died. She kept one of our radio units nearby, and it crackled, as one of the staff reported that they'd seen a small group of people moving through the woods in raincoats. They seemed to be looking for people, and the staff should be careful. Great aunt set her knitting aside. Well, Kate, I guess it's time for me to go. I thought she meant go home, so I didn't think much of it. Okay, bye. I'll see you tomorrow. Then, after a small amount of time, I realized that I hadn't heard her car engine start. When I looked, it was still in the driveway. There'd been a finality to the way she said it was her time to go. The pieces started to fall into place. I grabbed the radio. I think Great Aunt went into the forest. I I think something's wrong. What? Okay, I'll try to find her. I'll help. I took one of the four-wheelers. I didn't have a plan. I just wanted to find her before she found the people with no faces. This is something I've had to learn. You can't save people. Especially when they don't want to be saved. I caught up with my great aunt as the last of the people with no faces encircled her. I killed the engine and tumbled off the four-wheeler, running the rest of the way on foot. I hit one of them, grabbing its arm and trying to use my momentum to knock it out of the way, to give me room to get through to my great aunt. Let me through, auntie! It was like striking a stone. The person didn't even flinch, merely shook their arm and broke my grip as if I weren't even there. I tried again, grabbing at their jacket and then at the hood, trying to yank it back. They turned at that, seized my wrist and took a step towards me, forcing me back and away from the circle. I think the fact they'd already taken one of my toes before I was even born was the only reason they didn't harm me, even as I screamed and kicked at the one that held me at arm's length. Stop. This doesn't concern you. The hell it doesn't! Auntie! You have nothing we want. Leave. Go home. No! Not without my auntie! Through all this, my great-aunt remained stoic. She never even looked in my direction. Just stood there, gray hair like silver in the filtered sunlight back straight, shoulders set. Great-aunt was in her mid-90s, but there was a strength in her, like all her frailty had been tossed aside for this one last task. You must forgive my grandniece. She is of no concern to us. Because you already took one of her toes? You took my grandson's legs, too. 
We had need of them. I'm sure you did. And what do you want from me? Would you be so kind as to give us the tip of your ear? It's a small thing, quickly taken, easily forgotten. Of course, I will happily grant such a simple request. You are most generous. It raised its scalpel, positioning it near the tip of her ear. Her hand moved so fast, shot up and seized its fingers, twisted. And then she had the scalpel, and the person with no face was stepping backwards. I sensed its surprise. My great-aunt stabbed it in the face. It screamed a high, shrill tone, and the birds exploded from the nearby trees with shrieks of their own. I screamed, covering my ears, and the person holding me back released me and turned towards my great-aunt. Ah, <laughs> come on then! You think you can maim my grandson without consequences? You think I'm afraid of you? They converged on her, brandishing their scalpels, and she lunged at another with her stolen weapon. Behind her, the one she'd stabbed first had collapsed to the ground and was convulsing. Then it went still and limp. The body was flattening into the earth. My great-aunt fought like a wild beast. I don't know how many of them she stabbed. Their screams were deafening. She was outnumbered, and they overwhelmed her and forced her to the ground. And then they began removing her organs. Kate, run! Get out of here! So I ran. I'm not sure how far I went. I was running blind, not even on the trail, barely able to see through my tears. I don't know who or what grabbed me. There was just a hand suddenly on the back of my shirt, jerking me to a halt. And then before I could even rationalize what had happened, they had spun me around and was holding me close, burying my face against their shoulder. It's okay. It's going to be okay. You don't need to grieve so much. Your great aunt has chosen her time to die. So many don't get to choose. I... She... Shh. It's okay. That's all I can make out their words, and the press of their fingers against my back. I don't remember what they look like. To this day, I don't know who they were. The next thing I remember was walking out of the forest, across the grass, back towards the house. I didn't cry at my great-aunt's funeral, and I remember wondering if something was wrong with me. I understand now that we all grieve differently, and I had already mourned her out in the forest with that stranger that I'm now convinced was not human. Our relationship with the people with no faces remained unchanged, despite the attack. I suppose they recognized that this was a personal thing between them and her. Vengeance for what they'd done to her grandson. I didn't encounter them again until the day I took possession of the campsite. I'd returned from the lawyer's office to finish up the paperwork involved and was exhausted from a day of working through my parents' will. The people with no faces were waiting for me when I pulled up to the house. I stopped the car in the driveway and got out, walking to where they were clustered at the base of the patio's steps. The hell are you doing here? You weren't invited. 
I don't know if they followed the rules of property or not. They seemed like the kind that would, however. When a creature has rules to their interactions with humans, they generally follow the rules of property as well. I acknowledge our trespass, but we have come to deliver a gift. Will you accept? I... Yes, I will. It's dangerous to accept a gift from an inhuman thing, but far more dangerous to refuse. The harvester stepped forwards and handed me a knife. It was made of bone. The handle was carved from your second cousin's fibula. The blade is a sharpened rib from your great aunt, and the sinew binding it together is from the muscle of her heart. May it serve you well. <clears throat> Great, thanks. Now get the hell away from my house. I grew up with these rules. I saw the consequences firsthand. I kept the knife, even though the sight of it filled me with helpless anger. It was a reminder of how powerless we ultimately are in the face of these creatures. I think... The rules were some small way to keep the horrors I'm surrounded by from stretching out their hands to claim new victims. I hate that they existed, because like the knife, they were a reminder of how powerless I really was. All I could do was warn people and hope they heeded me. Because even if I were to take that knife from my desk and go out there and confront those monsters head on, it wouldn't be enough to save everyone. Perhaps my great-aunt felt the same. And when she was old and ready to die, she released all that rage and hate inside her and chose the manner of her death. Goat Valley Campgrounds was written and adapted for audio by Bonnie Quinn. Produced for the No Sleep Podcast by Phil Mykolski. Musical score composed by Brandon Boone. Starring Lindsay Russo as Kate, Mike Delgadio as Kate's dad, Nicole Doolin as Kate's mom, Aaron Lillis as Kate's great aunt, Sarah Thomas as The Harvester, and David Alt as The Shepherd. Join us next week for Chapter 7 of Goat Valley Campgrounds. This audio program is copyright 2022 by Creative Reason Media, Inc. All rights reserved. No reproduction or use of this content is permitted without the expressed written consent of Creative Reason Media, Inc. The copyright for Goat Valley Campgrounds is held by Bonnie Quinn.